The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation uh, it's the first snow of the season came this week up here in Massachusetts. I don't know about for all of you, but um, I know that for a lot of students out there, there is an avalanche of decisions coming in. I'm sorry, that's a really bad pun, but uh, we're getting lots and lots of emails in from our students letting us know what happened uh, with their early applications. Um, and I hope for those of you who have submitted some that you're getting good news. Um we are still getting lots of listener questions, so we're actually going to spend most of today's shows uh, to show answering those. But before we do that, uh, I know that we're getting lots of early application decisions in right now. However, the January 1st deadline is fast approaching. That's really the biggest deadline of the year um, for most colleges out there. It's regular decision, and there are many, many, many schools with a January 1 deadline. Um, and I'm very excited to have my colleague, Zaragoza Guerra, who is a former admissions officer at both MIT and Caltech, um, with me today. And we're going to talk a little bit about what families and students need to be focusing on and thinking about right now so that ideally they're going to be able to celebrate New Year's Eve rather than working on essays right up until the last minute. So, Zaragoza, thanks so much for being here today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So I guess, you know, so next week, Sally's going to talk some about what to do in terms of if you were deferred or if you were denied in your early uh, application. So we're not going to touch on that too, too much today. But I guess my first um, question for you is, um, what are you telling your students right now to get them um, really focused on finishing up sooner rather than later? I would say this. You know, you don't know what's going to be happening down the road. And, you know, obviously there are going to be some decisions that will be coming in relatively shortly. But you should evaluate your particular plan that you went in, uh, you know, starting in, in November, thinking, hey, I'm going to be applying to a certain set of schools, regular action. And you should stick to that plan because yep. there's not too much time in between decisions from early action or early decision and regular action. So, one, review your plan and stick with it. That's the first thing. Uh, and then you're going to want to make sure that you are putting all the pieces in place and double-checking with everyone who's supporting you throughout this endeavor. You know, your guidance counselor, your recommenders, keep in mind that they are going to be going out on vacation <laughs> relatively <Yes>. shortly. <laughs> and, 
So you're going to want to make sure that you've dotted all of your I's, you've crossed all your T's, everyone is still on board um, with all the particular sets of schools uh, that you had planned for. So that's going to be important, touching base with with everyone who's supporting you uh, in this process. And you know what, Zaragoza, that is such a really good and important point. So um, we're uh, we're both on Facebook and we're both part of a pretty big counselor um, group on Facebook. I think there are like 10,000 people who are part of that group, maybe more. Uh, and one of the things that routinely crafts up at this time of year um, and actually worse, usually after school vacation has started, are families reaching out to their guidance counselors saying, oh, well, we forgot and we really need you to do this and we really need you to send this. And the fact is that for those guidance counselors, they are on vacation and they are not going to be going back into the school. Often the school is not available to them even if they wanted to go back in and do something special for you. So I know that you will, it's your college process, and of course it's important and special to you, but um, I'm going to botch this, but you know, your emergency is not my emergency or something along those lines, right? It is, you need to make sure you have done what you needed to do now, and don't assume uh, that if you pick up the phone on December 24th or on December 28th, that there's going to be someone on the other end of the line to help you out with that. Um, so yeah, really good start, you're going to get voicemail or you're going to get an out-of-office response. Exactly. A lot of colleges actually shut down between um, Christmas and New Year's. I'm, that's one of the things I probably missed the most about working at Penn was that I didn't work that week. Um, so if you also, if things come up, if you have questions, there isn't going to be anyone available to ask those questions of. So you really want to make sure that if you have questions, you are asking them now, right? That you've looked at everything that's left to do and you know that, you know, the answers to all your questions so that at least at, at the point, if you're leaving it, you are, um, you're, you're leaving your own stuff and you're not relying on other people before you can complete your own stuff. Exactly. And, you know, and as I said, review your previous plans. You should have that plan in place. You should be moving forward with that plan. You shouldn't uh, be waiting on an early response from one of your early schools um, and, and see how that might impact your, your plan moving forward. Uh, you know, and I know we'll talk about that next week, but you know, stick, stick to your plan. That way things don't fall out of place and that you're keeping on schedule, particularly with those people who are on board with that particular plan uh, moving forward. Right. And what about organizationally wise? I mean, so um, I know that I have my kids uh, do a deadlines and requirements grid. We've had that in place for a couple of months now. Um, But for Mm -hmm. those who maybe don't have something like that and have 10 applications that they still haven't done, any tips you have around organization and getting ready to complete those applications? Sure. I would be, I, I put everything into an Excel spreadsheet and, you know, make sure that you're keeping track of the following. One would be, uh, you know, your actual deadline, okay? So, you know, there are going to be some schools that are going to have a January 1 deadline. There are going to be other schools, you know, that might be a little bit beyond January 1. So don't feel that you have to rush everything in by January 1st if that's not necessarily going to be the case. So keep track of your deadlines there. You want to make sure that you're keeping track of all of the essays that you've had to write, perhaps some of those supplemental essays. You know, check them off when they're done. That way you know, okay, this is what I've got left 
to do. Uh, you want to make sure that you are uh, being mindful of schools that require standardized tests and that you will have completed your standardized yes. test requirements <laughs> by the deadline. If you haven't, make sure that you're registering for those January test dates, uh, you know, for those schools that, that will take those uh, January test dates. So keep track of that. Um, as I said, you know, double check with those people who are supporting you. Make sure that your guidance counselor knows all the schools that you're applying to so that way uh, they can send out those transcripts and secondary school reports ahead of time. Your recommenders, same thing. Make sure that they're on board and that uh, they know which schools to be sending those recommendations. And then double check to see if your school has either an interview or audition schedule. Are you scheduled to that? When do you need to, to schedule that in? Some, some schools might uh, even be requiring you to schedule those uh, as soon as possible, like perhaps this week even, or we might even be beyond uh, those deadlines for some schools. So double check that. Um, those are the main things that I would check with respect to the application. And, you know, there's certainly some other things that a student can do uh, before they press send. And, and my recommendation is to try to get all of your essays and your activities lists inside your application portal um, starting now, especially if, if you've checked those off and they're done. Get them in there. That way you can see if you are missing any pieces. Um, you're going to want to be able to react to any missing pieces right now rather than the day before the deadline. Um, and, th and then I, I try to get everything inside those application portals at least a week before you need to press submit um, just to make sure that everything is squared away. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I also think um, to that end, if you're getting it all in there a week in, in advance, um, as soon as it's completed and you've print previewed it and looked over it and it looks like everything's there and you've answered everything accurately and your essays are there with minimal typos, um, that you're pressing send ideally well before the deadline. And by well before, I mean probably at least 48 hours before the deadline, if at all possible. And the reason that I always recommend this, and I'd love to get your thoughts if you recommend something different or maybe even longer, is just um, technology is always going to be problematic. Um, you know, there are going to be tens of thousands of people pressing submit on January 1. Not everyone listens to this show. Not everyone is doing everything in advance. In fact, many people are going to leave it to the very last minute, either because they didn't start well enough in advance or because they just can't seem to put a pin in it and say, okay, this is ready to send. So you just don't want to be caught up in that huge group of people. And there are many colleges that won't accept, oh, well, it, you had a technology issue. That's your fault for not planning ahead. And in fact, I think... Um, Stanford is a good example. They have it in writing that their expectation is you're going to get everything in there and um, they want you to plan ahead and allow for things that might come up that might be unforeseen, like you exactly. lose power, right? So they're not accepting <laughs> ahead technology as a problem. Coming up <laughs> that you can't account for and it's best to have everything in there well in advance. And, and in all honesty, that's what I generally recommend to students is to do it for yourself as well, not just for those emergencies, but so that you can enjoy the holiday. It's best to cut yes. the cord before you have to, uh, you know, this is going to be perhaps 
one of the uh, last holidays that you're going to have with your family inside as a you know full time member of their household. So give your parents a break and and get it done ahead of time. That way, everyone can enjoy the holiday stress free. Exactly. And I can tell you, and I know this to be a fact, and I and I will, with full disclosure, tell all of my listeners that I am a bit of a procrastinator. And to say that I'm a bit of a procrastinator might even be being generous to myself. Um, I do think that I work well under pressure. However, I have learned over time that working well under pressure and very last minute are two very different things. So um, for those of you out there who think, well, I work better under pressure and I'm going to write the best possible thing if I write it a half hour before it's due, I'm here to tell you that you're not. Now, if you want to be working on that a couple of days before it's due, but if you're not leaving time to sit with it, to go back, to edit it, to read it once more, to make sure that it's fully answering the question, to make sure that you're getting everything about yourself in there, then you are leaving it until too late. And I'm sure, Zaragoza, that you have read many of these. I know I have. Um, It shows when you leave it to the last minute, especially if you took a lot of time for your main essay and then for your supplemental pieces, you're dashing them off at the last minute. They're just simply not going to be of the same quality level. And that's going to be problematic for your application. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I'm one of those people who tell myself that I work well under pressure. But I can tell you that when I'm comparing um, pieces of writing that I've done with uh, plenty of time, to work on it, to rehash it, to think about it, to step back <laughs> and mm-hmm. then dive back in. Um, those pieces of writing are so much better than the ones that I think are good uh, because I'm doing them under pressure. Um, so yeah. set some artificial deadlines for yourself. Set up that artificial pressure deadline that you're going to get something done on December 20th and let that be the time that you're working under pressure and getting things done. That way you have some buffer time to to step back from the process, look back and say, ooh, uh, I could have phrased that a little bit better. Um, I I don't think Shakespeare wrote anything (laughs) (laughs) under pressure. I think he probably spent some time on those things. And, uh, you know, even the best writers will, will immerse themselves in their writing and and spend some time in that. And one last, you know, one, one other thing that I would say, to, to families and students as you're, you know, submitting all of these applications is to also step back and see what else uh, a college admission officer might be taking a look at. So, you know, review your social network pages, make sure that everything that you are projecting out there publicly is what you want to project publicly, because if it's in the public domain, Anyone might have access to it, and so you want to make sure that what you are putting forth, um, an admission officer would be happy to see and wouldn't take umbrage uh, to what, what's out there. So double-check all of that before you press that, because, as I said, the public has access to these things if you give them access to it, and it's fair game. Yep. And I think that's really good advice. Not only should everything on there be something you'd be very happy with your grandmother seeing, which I always think is a good barometer of whether you'd be happy an admissions officer sees it, but you should also have your privacy settings set so that they can't 
see it, even if they can just see your profile picture. That should be the most that they're able to see on your page. Um, Zaragoza, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. My pleasure. All right. Well, um, after the break, we're going to get to listener questions. uh, So don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. We know that you're looking for more. You want a more fulfilling life and don't know how to free yourself from the proverbial rut. Tune in to Wake Up and Listen with co-hosts Don Burnett and Dr. Don. With engaging discussion and some fun too, Don and Dr. Don will help you bring harmony into your life. Improve your relationships, release those fears, and get you unstuck. Wake Up and Listen can be heard live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Um, So before the break, I promised you that we were going to be answering more of your listener questions. And since I always um, uphold my promises, we are going to do just that. And I'm excited to welcome back Beth Feinberg-Keenan, who is my colleague and as a college finance expert. Hi, Beth. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So it's the Beth and Beth show for the rest of today's Getting In. Um, But we have lots and lots of listener questions that have come in. So I'm going to jump right in and ask you a finance question. Um, And this one comes to us from James, who asks, are there any financial opportunities that are available for middle-income individuals? So James, I think that's an interesting question, but it's also a difficult question to answer because I think different people have a definition of middle income uh, differently. So depending on where your student is applying to school, uh, I think there is definitely need-based financial aid available to families. And while 
I don't know enough about your situation, I can provide you some income thresholds, which might help you gauge whether you'd qualify for need-based financial aid or not. So typically, if your income is over 120, maybe 130, you might not qualify for need-based financial assistance at your in-state public colleges. If your child is looking at schools at um, out-of-state public universities, income threshold may be closer to 150, 160. And depending on the private schools that your child is looking at, schools with a $50,000 price tag, income threshold about 200000 if your child's looking at schools that are upwards of 60 and encroaching upon $70,000 today. I've seen families get need-based financial assistance uh, who have incomes upwards of 225 230 So that might give you some type of guidance in terms of will your child qualify for need any type of financial assistance and how does your income compare to you know, what I just um, provided. Some states also have assistance offered to students which aren't based upon the family's ability to pay. So the state of Georgia, the state of Tennessee have... Um, state assistance, the state of Pennsylvania. If you live in California, California actually has a scholarship called the Middle Class Scholarship. So it's for that group of families that have an income below $150,000 and your student's looking to attend a Cal State University or UC. Your child could get a discount. So check with your state's higher education website for additional opportunities. And the other place that you also want to look is don't always count on the school as the only place for looking for scholarships for middle-income individuals, but there's also outside scholarships that you can also look for other additional opportunities. I want to draw you to the College Coach blog. Uh, we profile a scholarship of the week. Um, also, our Facebook page, we profile a lot of information on outside scholarships or another, another two places for great resources for looking for additional assistance if you don't qualify specifically for need-based financial aid at the college and universities that your, that your child's applying to. Awesome. Beth, thank you so much. Those are some really good information. And I know that in the middle class, there is the sense that you get squeezed, right? That the uh, right. high-income people can afford to write that check and the people who really have very limited incomes are going to get a lot of assistance, but that there isn't always anything for people in the middle. And hopefully... Um, there's some helpful information in there for you, James. Um, and so thanks so much, Beth. All right, so I think you have a couple for me. I do. So, Beth, we have a couple questions that have come in regarding extracurricular activities as well as athletes. So we have two listeners um, who've asked questions, one wanting to, wanting to know about looking at how important are sports as part of the college admissions process, but beyond sports, what other extracurricular activities are important to college admission, the college admissions process? Sure. So um, I think that, um, you know, I saw one of the questions was sort of like, do you need to do anything other than play sports? So if you're a three-season athlete, are other activities important? And what I would say is that, first of all, sports are not the be-all, end-all. And if you've been listening to this show um, basically at all, you've heard us talk about how extracurricular activities are important, um, but it's much more, it's much less what you do, but that you do something. So for some students, sports are going to be what they do. 
and students are going to be three-season athletes, and that's going to take up the bulk of their time, and that's really going to be mostly what they do outside of the classroom. And that's totally fine and totally acceptable and certainly not uncommon, but, um, you know, I I would say that when I have a three-season athlete, I'm not sure I think that they need to do anything else, but every once in a while they have one other club or something that they're involved in, usually pretty minimally just because the sports takes up so much time. Um, So do you have to have anything other than being a three-season athlete? Not necessarily. I think, as always, it really depends on um, what schools you are interested in and Um, you know, how good you are at those sports. So a three-season athlete applying to a relatively selective school, that's going to show nice involvement, and you may not need more than that. If you're looking at the most selective schools in the country, well, in order to stand out and make one of those sports a distinguishing excellence, you may need to be good enough in that sport to be recruited to play at that school. Um, You may need to be captain of one or more of those sports teams. Um, You may need more than that if you're shooting for one of the very most selective schools in the country and you're not going to be recruited. But um, that is really just a very, very tiny little group of schools. And so for most schools, being a three-season athlete is going to be great and show really nice involvement and commitment. Um, For those students who just aren't athletes, they don't want sports, they don't like to play sports, it's just not something they're interested in, it's totally fine not to play any sport at all. There is no expectation or requirement that you play sports. Um, But again, what there is an expectation and a requirement is that you have things that you're interested in and that you're involved in those areas of interest. So if it's not sports, it's something else, and that's fine. Um, So... I guess long story short is it's fine to be pretty much just an athlete and it's fine to not be an athlete at all. It's really about finding the things that you really enjoy doing or that your child enjoys doing and getting involved in those areas. And uh, the other thing that, I'm oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. No, no, go the for it. The other thing that I thought was always um, interesting too that I often get questions about is that does it have to be tied to the school? Like those individuals who dance and while that's mm-hmm. athletic, you know, they might compete outside of the school and they're still spending so much time doing that and it's still involvement in something but not might not be necessarily tied to you know the school offers that program absolutely there's certainly no expectation that student involvement be in the school specifically it's really just anything that students are doing outside of the classroom and so that could mean outside of the classroom but still part of the school it could mean like you say dance classes that you're doing that has nothing to do with the school I think the key is for students who are involved in things that aren't affiliated with the school is you want to make sure that whomever is writing on your behalf the guidance counselor Um, who's writing on your behalf, knows a little bit about what you're doing so that they can at least provide that perspective that even though you're not involved in the local school school community, that you have some things that you're doing outside of that community. Um, Great, thank you. Okay, sure. I've got another one for you. Uh, And it's all, it it ties in nicely with the sort of deadlines piece that we've been talking about or that Zaragoza and I were talking about a little earlier. And this is, um, when should we start to file for financial aid? Do we wait until we've heard from the colleges? And that's a question that myself and a lot of my colleagues have been getting from families recently. So you should definitely not be waiting to file for financial aid, but you should be filing for financial aid simultaneously that you're applying to colleges. 
and I did get to uh, catch a little bit of the segment that you and Zaragoza um, had done, talking about deadlines and putting together a chart of tracking, you know, when things are due. And the same goes for financial aid, that add a few more columns to that chart in terms of what financial aid applications are required and what are their deadlines. For those families who applied early, they had November deadlines, they had December deadlines, so applying early action, early decision. Some of the financial aid deadlines were also just as early, and some of these families are the ones that have been reaching out to us and asking, do we still file? We, we missed that deadline. And you mm. should still file. You should make sure that you're still completing the required financial aid applications. The FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid, is the primary application that should be completed. And then some schools will require the profile application, which is another form. If the schools are asking for both of those forms, it's both forms. It's not either or. So I don't want to stress that. Um, <laughs> There's about three to 400 private colleges that require that profile application in addition to the FAFSA. The FAFSA can be completed online. There's really nothing that's preventing you from filling that out now. If you have a high school senior, you're using income taxes from 2015, as well as the CSS profile that is also available on the College Board website, and you're using the same taxes to complete that form. But there's no benefit to waiting Make sure that you file it in a you know, timely fashion. Uh, try to meet those deadlines. Missing deadlines can impact financially that's available to families because, unfortunately, colleges don't have unlimited buckets of money that they can just keep spending and spending. They do run out of money, especially need-based financial aid dollars. Got it. Okay. So that makes sense. Yes. You really just don't want to miss those deadlines. Uh, You don't want to miss them on your applications for admission, and you don't want to miss them for your applications on financial aid. Couldn't be more important. Um, And they're something you can control so easily, too, because they're published so early, and there's so many places that you can find them. And if you don't know the deadlines, then just call and ask somebody. Right, exactly. They'll be very happy to give them to you. (laughs) All right. You have another couple of questions for me. Mm -hmm. I do have another question that came in for you. And this uh, parent, Ellen, she wants to know, is the new SAT a better gauge of knowledge and aptitude than the old one? Well, Ellen, that's sort of assuming that the old SAT was a good gauge of knowledge and aptitude. Um, And the answer is, I have no idea. I don't think that, um, I think kind of at this point, uh, it's almost... Well, it's not universally acknowledged, but certainly there's a lot of debate out there about what are you really learning um, from the results of the SAT or from the ACT, for that matter. And um, I think that when they change the tests, they're really just making adjustments as for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, one of the reasons that a lot of people suspect the SAT introduced the latest round of changes was to align it a little bit better with the ACT because they're losing market share to the ACT. So do changes that better align them with another test mean that they're a better test? I don't know. Or just make that a better marketing tool. Um, for better or worse, I'm not sure that we can really make an assessment about how well or not it is gauging knowledge and aptitude. Um, I think we just have to accept that these tests at the moment are a reality. 
Um, if you don't feel like they are um, a reality you really want to face or you want your child to face, there are schools out there that are not requiring SATs or ACTs. Um, if you're interested in schools with test optional or test flexible policies, I would strongly encourage you to test to check out fairtest.org. That's F-A-I-R-T-E-S-T.org. Um, and that is a list that's fairly up to date around um, the different schools and their different testing policies. Um, and, you know, so your guess is as good as mine. I can tell you that more and more schools these days are questioning the link between how a student does on the SAT and how they ultimately do in their freshman year at college. They're in theory, there is a link between those two things. I think in practice, in many different subject areas, they're finding that that link doesn't really exist. Um, for some types of programs, engineering is a big one. They do seem to think there's a strong correlation between how the students are doing on their standardized tests and how they ultimately end up doing in the program. So, um, and there are other programs where I think they have similar feelings. And that's one of the big reasons why I don't think we're going to see these tests go away anytime soon. I think there's also an entire industry around these tests. This is a big vested interest in the tests continuing. There are a lot of school systems that are moving to make the SAT or the ACT um, the primary test that students take to indicate whether or not they have successfully achieved their um the high school curriculum, they've learned everything they're supposed to learn in high school. Um, So there are a lot of things going on that I think are going to keep these tests uh, certainly in the mix for the foreseeable future. But there are colleges that have been moving to place sort of less importance on those tests by making them optional. And again, if that's something that's appealing as a family, then I would strongly encourage checking that list out and understanding that when schools stay their test optional, they truly mean it. And you're not going to be at a disadvantage if you ultimately opt either not to take this test or not to submit your scores um, to those schools. And we've done a couple of episodes of getting in on those. So if you're interested, there are some segments in the archives uh, all about that. Uh, Okay. So, Beth, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will go right back to our listener questions, and we'll start with another finance question. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. 
visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We are going to get right back to your listener questions because we have so many of them. Uh, And Beth, I've got another finance question for you. Um, And this one is, my income is much lower in 2016. Can I wait to file for financial aid and use my 2016 tax year information? Hmm. Interesting. I think it's interesting, especially this year with the big change, that uh, families are using tax information from two years back now. And for some families, that's a surprise. And for other families, this is the question that they're asking, that 2015 income isn't reflective of what this current tax year is or, you know, even maybe even what 2017 income is even looking like for the family. So, you know, you're not alone in asking that question. But if you do decide to wait, you're still going to be, you know, you're still going to be expected to use the 2015 uh, tax year. When families are filing for financial aid, the base year information is two tax years back. So a good way to figure out what tax year that is, and specifically this year would be 2015, but if you don't have a high school senior and you want to figure out what tax year you're going to be using is first write down what year your child's going to be graduating from high school. So for families this year, it would be 2017 that they'd be graduating, and then hopefully they're filing for financial aid in 2016, and then they're using the tax information from the year back. So it's a little exercise that can help you figure out what tax year you're going to be using. But along those lines, if, you're, if the tax year that you're using is not reflective of your family situation, that year is inflated for various reasons. Maybe you cashed out some stocks. Maybe you exercised some stock options. Maybe you changed jobs and you were being paid more at that year. Whatever that situation is that your income was inflated for 2015 or your base year, colleges will always work with families and consider a change in circumstance. So what is going to be your responsibility is you're going to need to reach out to the college and with a letter explaining that you have extenuating circumstances, that your base year taxes are not reflective of your family's um, financial strengths, that that income is inflated. Most colleges, and again, because this is the first year that this is happening, that you're using income from two years back, I think that most colleges are going to actually want copies of your returns. So while you can reach out to a school right you know, now, 
You can send them a copy of your most recent pay stub from 2016, showing them that this is what your income is, is and what you anticipated to be for 2016. I think that most colleges are going to ultimately want a copy of your 2016 federal taxes to fully reevaluate the situation and letting them, you know, use that 2016 information to reevaluate the family's ability to pay. But you don't have to wait, you know, to send that letter to the college. You can let them know that the information that you provided is not completely accurate. Let them flag your file that they know that they have to go back and reevaluate your your information once you are able to get that information to the school and stay in contact with the financial aid office. Follow back up with them. Did you receive my initial request? What else do you want me to send you? When you get that financial aid award, you know, if you don't think that that was taken into consideration because maybe you weren't able to get all of the supporting documentation, follow back up with the aid office again. Were you able to reevaluate uh, and offer financial aid based on our 2016 income because 2015 was higher than, higher than it typically is? This is an odd year. Schools yeah. are... You know, schools are definitely working with, I think, a lot of families whose incomes are going to be different, and it's going to be interesting to see what's happening, but I don't want to discourage families that they're going to have to settle with higher-year income. They should definitely reach out to colleges. Got it. Great advice. What's your, what's I have your next question one for, yep. for you? Actually, it's a couple questions that have come in, again, along the same lines. So we had both Angie and Rosemary ask um, a couple questions regarding what schools are looking at. So what's the most important part of your application? Uh, Rosemary's heard it's the GPA, as well as Angie wants to know what factors are being looked at, GPA, standardized test scores, extracurricular activities, community service, et cetera. What are really important to colleges in terms of reviewing the student's application for admission? Sure. So I will say that the very most important piece of every application is always going to be the student's transcript. It's the most important document in the application. It's the thing you turn to first when you're evaluating an application. Um, When you look at an application, you are looking not only at how the student did, so not only the grades earned, but also the courses taken. Um, And different colleges are going to have different expectations when it comes to those courses. So some schools are going to have expectations of a student doing the most rigorous curriculum available. Some schools are just going to want to see a student doing college prep. Some are going to want to see something in between. Maybe they took some college prep. Maybe they challenged themselves with an honors class or two. Um, There is no one-size-fits-all approach to getting into college. And so I think my really biggest piece of advice to everyone is, for students to take the curriculum that is the best fit curriculum for them. So they don't want to take too many advanced level courses if they can't do well in those. And they don't want to take too few um, when they could have challenged themselves a little bit more and probably still done pretty well. Um, But it is always going to be what a student took and how they did in that in those courses that is always going to be the most important piece in every application some colleges are really almost literally going to stop there they're going to look at that they're going to look at the test scores if the student is where they expect them to be then welcome to the university and for other schools um, the more selective you get then the more important all of those other things become what you're doing outside of the classroom what your teachers and counselors have to say about you in their letters of recommendation. Um, All of those pieces start to come into play as well. 
So I would say a good rule of thumb is if the college is admitting more than half of its applicant pool, so if its acceptance rate is better than 50%, then you could feel pretty good that if your grades and test scores are within the sort of middle 50% ranges, you're probably fine. Um, For schools that admit less than half of their applicant pool, that's when things become a little less predictable. And again, that's when those other factors come into play. One thing that um, Angie mentions in passing, sort of extracurricular, community service, et cetera, community service is an extracurricular, and community service is no better extracurricular than any other extracurricular. I feel like this is a fight I've been fighting my entire career in admissions, this sort of mythological community service being. Um, I think community service can be a really great thing for students. I'm not sure that it's something every student needs to do. And um, I think what's really important is that students be active members of their communities. There are a lot of ways to be in service of those around you. And um, that can take many different forms. And I think a lot of times people get really hung up on the idea that you need to do community service with a capital C and a capital S and that that involves maybe going down to the local soup kitchen. Um, There are many different ways in which students can be active, engaged members of their community. And um, that is really what colleges are looking for above and beyond anything else. And they're not holding any one of those things up above the others, as we talked about a little bit earlier today. Um, so yeah. Um, all right, right. Beth, I've I've got another one for you. This one sounds, uh, I don't know how quick this will be to answer, but here's the question. Can you give me an overview of the timeline? What happens after we've applied for financial aid? So if you've already applied for financial aid, uh, the first thing that I would suggest doing is just making sure you go back, make sure that you didn't miss anything. Um, are schools asking for a scholarship application? Are they asking for um, something else that maybe beyond the FAFSA and the CSS profile? I often find that there might be little things that a family missed. That's the first thing. But if you haven't missed anything and you've filed and sent everything to the school that is required, this is really your waiting game. This is during the waiting game, uh, you may have to send taxes to the school. Uh, some of you might have been selected for a process called verification. And if you've been selected for verification, it's nothing to worry about. Uh, about 30% of families who file for financial aid are automatically selected for verification, and colleges are verifying the information that you supplied on the applications. I think fewer families have to supply tax transcripts because you're using the IRS data retrieval tool, so your information is already being verified when you're submitting your FAFSA. But there could be some additional documentation and documents that you have to send along with um, a tax transcript if, if needed for verification. Us schools are reviewing your files. They're reviewing the information that was submitted. So if something looks odd to them, if something on the application doesn't make sense to the school, they may send a request to the family asking for additional documentation additional explanation of information that was provided. If you get that request, make sure that you respond in a timely fashion. By holding off and not responding, figuring out why they're asking that question of you, you know, reach out to the school. But that can also hold up processing and further processing your child's financial aid award letter if you delay sending that information. If you've had a change in circumstances since the time that you filed, This is an opportunity for you to write to the school and let them know about any type of changes of um, information that was provided. 
Students who applied early, early decision, early action, and you applied for financial aid, also early meeting the deadlines, it's likely you're going to be receiving financial aid packages before the first of the year, maybe slightly after the first of the year. And if you're applying regular decision, March, April is going to be your time frame if you're admitted that you're going to be hearing from schools uh, with financial aid packages as well, if you, as well as if you've been admitted. At that point in time, once you receive the financial aid packages, it's your opportunity to compare offers, to go back and figure out what's your bottom line. What do you have to pay at school A? What do you have to pay at school B? What resources do you have to pay for college? Do you have savings that you can pull from? Do you have disposable income that you can make payments um, from? Or you could have to tap into loans. Really, during that, this time period, before May 1st, before you have to deposit and let the school know that that's where you're going to go, this is your time to figure out what school is affordable. And hopefully your children have a number of different choices um, where they're going to be admitted to, and you're going to have different offers to compare. At the time that you're getting the offers, maybe you have a better offer from one school than the other, and your child wants to go to college A over college B. You can also go back to a school to see if there's anything that they can do to reevaluate, you know, your ability to pay? Is there something more that they can offer to your family uh, based on a better offer from College B? There's lots of little things that you can be doing before you have to deposit. Um, You want to make sure that once you deposit, um, your child's applying for loans, uh, you're enrolling in payment plans, you're putting together a plan, uh, how you're going to pay the difference, whether that's a payment plan, pulling from savings, or uh, taking out additional private loans yourself. But, you know, this is, you know, also a time to look for outside scholarships if your child hasn't started to do that too. Kind of sometimes maybe fill in those gaps. But okay. there's a lot of little things that you can be doing now. It's a waiting game, but there's some things that you want to make sure that you have in place and ready, ready to make that decision in the next, you know, five months. Um, before you know it, May 1st will be here, and you're making those decisions and where your child's going to be going to school hopefully for the next four years or so. Yes, and before you know it, it'll actually be all over. And (laughs) college will be in the rearview mirror, and you won't know how that happened so quickly. And Um, you can pay for those loans. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. You'll be paying for those loans, or they'll be paying for them. Um, Beth, thank you so much. I think we have time for um, one more quick question. I think there were a couple related to visits um, that you might have in front of you. Okay. I, I actually do. I have um, one question from Susan, and she says, when helping your child to prepare to make the most of a university visitor tour, how do you help him or her refine and fine-tune what they're looking for during that college visit? Okay. Um, so I think that this is no different than kind of when students are putting together the list of colleges that are interesting to them. You know, they want to be thoughtful about what is important to them in a college, and then they want to have that same list with them when they go and visit that college. So if they said, it's really important to me to be in a college town with a lot to do outside of the college, then when you get there and you're walking around and they love the campus, you might remind them, well, you said it was really important to you that there would be a lot to do outside of the campus do you see that and have them be looking around? Well, gee, no, I don't. But I can see that there's so much to do here on campus that maybe that's not a problem. Um, I do think visits are a time to kind of refine that list of things that students think are important. 
um, because oftentimes what you think is important may ultimately not be overly important. So to that end, um, there are some things, of course, that are not really going to change. So if they are particularly interested in, a, in one area of study, I think one of the very important things to do would be to see if a student can visit a class in that area, maybe even meet with someone in the department if they're going to have good questions to ask. Um, so to do some of those things. So basically, make sure that they remember what is the list of reasons why that this college wound up on the list. And then to look for those same things when they're on the campus to see if um, what they think that school has to offer really lines up with what it actually does have to offer. Um, so, Beth, thank you so much for being here today. I want to also thank Zaragoza for being here. Um, uh, next week, Sally is going to be hosting, and she's going to be talking all about early decision and early action results, what to do if you were deferred, if you were denied, or if you were admitted. They're also going to be looking at trends in college pricing. Um, visit our archives. There's all kinds of really good and helpful stuff in our archives, and it's all free. Um, you can also follow us on Pinterest, and we're in LinkedIn. We have a great blog, getintocollege.com slash blog. Um, and we are, of course, here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 